Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. On today's show, Tom and I will be joined by bee health advocate and environmental author Graham White to talk about the upcoming review of the 2013 ban of neonicotinoids in Europe and Bayer's efforts to overturn it. First, I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper, Mr. Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, June. And our guest today, Graham White. Graham, so nice to have you back. Well, it's nice to be back, June, and greetings from Scotland. Graham, before we begin the discussion, can you just take a moment to share with our audience a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure. Um, I'm a a retired environmental educator and environmental author, but I've been keeping bees since about 1994 on a small scale. I just have 10 hives, uh, and my bees were absolutely fine from 1994 to 2004, and then progressively uh, they began to suffer, uh, not produce any honey, because of the impact of systemic pesticides in my country. Thank you, Graham. In regards to the 2013 ban of neonicotinoids in Europe, Graham, can you take a moment to just review with our listeners exactly what transpired? Well, uh, there are 28 countries within the European Union, you know, Britain, Germany, France, Italy, and so on. And, uh, when they have to take an important policy decision about things like pesticides, they have an advisory science committee, which is an agency called the European Food Safety Agency. It's kind of the equivalent of the EPA, but instead of being for one country, it's for 28 countries. So it has many, many, many distinguished scientists and regulatory agencies from all those 28 countries. And back in 2012, because we've had many, many millions of bee deaths in the the European Union, they took scientific evidence from all the known papers. I think they considered something like 200 peer-reviewed scientific papers, and they took evidence from beekeepers in France, Germany, Italy, and so on. And the conclusion of that was that they recommended to the European Commission, which is the equivalent of the executive in the European Union, they recommended that the three main neonicotinoids, that's uh, imidacloprid, clothianidin, and thiamethoxam, should be banned as of December 2013 for two years. Now, in fact, it's nearly three years now, but that ban is up for review, and the pesticide industry has never stopped lobbying in the intervening time to try and get that ban overturned. Graham, can you just take a moment to explain to our listeners why they are making such a great effort to overturn this ban? Because there are a lot of people that tune into this show that don't know what neonicotinoids are, that don't understand the politics involved, and why this company, who has so many different divisions, mostly Bayer in the United States is known for Bayer Aspirin, 
why would they make so much effort and spend millions of dollars to overturn this decision? Well, the main reason is profits. Uh, Bayer makes conservatively at least $2 billion profit from selling neonicotinoids in the United States and in Europe. And um, they still, uh, although there's been a ban on what are called B-attractive crops in the European Union, that doesn't mean neonics have been banned from other crops. So it's banned on crops that have flowers which attract bees, like oilseed rape or canola, uh, and on maize, which attracts bees. But it's never been banned on wheat, barley, uh, soybeans, and so on and so on. So uh, the entire environment in the European Union is still being saturated with neonicotinoids. It's just not on those particular flowers which are most attractive to bees. But having said that, uh, it still represents a loss of hundreds of millions of dollars to Bayer and Syngenta, the fact that they can't um, use or sell the neonicotinoids to farmers across the 28 countries of the EU. That's why they're determined to overthrow it. What's interesting is that when you go to becare.bayer.com and you see their phenomenal video which has an amazing close-up of a honeybee. It's really, really impressive. And once again, it gives the illusion that they truly are concerned about protecting the honeybee, when meanwhile, by design, neonicotinoids were created to kill them. Well, it's not difficult to be impressive if you have billions of dollars in the bank to hire you know, good filmmakers, good media producers, and so on. But the pesticide companies are in exactly the same position the tobacco companies were in the 1960s. The scientific evidence is overwhelming that their products kill bees, pollinators, uh, and, and the entire spectrum of wildlife is dropping like a brick in Europe and in America. Uh, and they have to take steps if they want to maintain those profits. They've got to overturn regulatory action. They do, the one thing they don't want is regulatory bans on their products. It's Graham, toward that end, hasn't there been a series of studies recently released that purport to show that uh, the neonicotinoids are safe for bees? That's correct. There were no less than six studies were released, I think most funded by Bayer. They all came out on the same day. I think it was the 25th of September in, a, in an important journal called Ecotoxicology. And uh, various scientists have already pointed out the glaring deficiencies in those alleged studies, because the studies basically say anodine is great for bees. It's wonderful stuff. doesn't harm them at all. Now, uh, one scientist I spoke to pointed out the most amazing deficiency. They, they compared two groups of uh, 60 hives one was the group that was treated with clothianidine. The other was uh, the alleged control group. Now, normally when you do a control experiment, you would put the control group somewhere where they're not have, being affected by any pesticides at all, even though that's a difficult thing to find. But what Bayer did was they said, we're going to treat these 60 hives with clothianidine, and the other ones, we let the farmers use whatever they wish, as long as it's not clothianidine. So some farmers used pyrethrums, some used kumaphos, some used organophosphates. We don't know because they didn't keep any records. So you're not, it's not a valid experiment. From the very beginning, it's completely insane. 
But Graham, but, when you're doing a basic science experiment, it just strikes me as being extremely peculiar. Even when I studied science, basic biology, for example, in college, you have a control, mm-hmm. and this just doesn't seem to make any sense. Well, it, according, it, according to the scientists who I've spoken to, there is no control in this massive experiment that's cost millions of dollars. This is an effort to stem any resistance on the part of EFSA. This is the, the corporations have said that they want the decisions to be science-based, and what they mean by that is they want to flood the scientific community with this junk science, and that is what the science-based decisions are made on. This is propagandizing. This is not science. This is the equivalent of the tobacco industry saying you should smoke camels because it's good for your throat, as they did back in the day in the 1960s. It's bogus science, in my opinion. One interesting result that's uh, occurred because of this ban, there was uh, great resistance to it and claims that it was going to eliminate millions of jobs and billions of dollars and reduce the crop. When in fact, they had record canola crops without use of neonicotinoids. You don't hear the the corporate industry saying much about that. There there have been record crops in cereals and grains and uh, oilseed rape, which you call canola, in the European Union. And the variations that have been are entirely within the normal variation from year to year, which points at the point that you don't actually need pesticides to grow crops. Most of the time, you don't need pesticides. But, of course, they're desperate for their entire uh, industry is based on the idea that you always use pesticides, whether they're needed or not. That's what they want. That's where the money comes from. In fact, if you wanted to sum this up, before 1945... Uh, poison and pesticides were very rare things in the farm environment. Uh, Bayer and Syngenta and Monsanto and the other, Dow Chemical and so on, have succeeded in normalizing poison. Poison is now ubiquitous. It's everywhere, all the time, on every seed, in every field, in every crop. And that's an amazing revolution that they've achieved without anyone noticing. I mean, beekeepers have noticed Because our bees keep dying, the people who are in charge or are looking at uh, butterflies have noticed that they're all dying. The people who are beginning to look at invertebrates and moths and insectivorous birds have noticed that some of them have declined by 70, 80, 90 percent in the last 30 years. Everything is, you know, wildlife cannot exist in that poisoned environment. Bees are just one little part of it. There's an interesting thing going on here in the United States that's related to this propagandizing effort by the chemical industry, and that has to do with the Managed Pollinator Protection Plans, the MP3s. We've discussed those a couple of times on this program, and you've been involved in an issue that's taking place in Vermont. Could you just discuss that? A little with the yeah, the, the Vermont, like every state in America, has been mandated to produce a pollinator protection plan, and the kind of people who uh, stakeholders who are invited onto these committees tend to be 
sometimes there are beekeepers, sometimes there are farmers. Certainly there's pesticide industry representatives. There's, there's government representatives at state level. And uh, most importantly, there are state extension agricultural college representatives. And one of these people on the Vermont committee is a, is a, an agronomist called Terry Bra Dr. Terry Bradshaw. And uh, when a beekeeper sent along a, a list of scientific papers from Europe and all over the world, all confirming that neonics um, are the major cause of global bee deaths, this person just went to work with a, a pair of hammers and just, um, just objected to every scientific paper on every possible ground except the papers which said neonics were innocent. And then when I did a little, a little search on Google for this gentleman, I found out that he'd written a, an, an incredibly heavy lobbying document to every senator in Vermont saying that if apple growers in Vermont didn't have neonics, economic disaster was facing everybody, agriculture was going to collapse, uh, farmers just would not survive. So you, you have in effect what are pesticide advocates being paid with public money in public universities all across the United States in what is called the state extension college system. So effectively, the pesticide industry now controls all of those people working in the state extension college system. I mean, you you could you can tell it from your side, Tom. I, I think you're aware of this as well. Well, it's it's. I think that much of this MP3 activity, first of all, it's the conclusion of over 20 years of manipulation of the beekeepers into a position where they're completely disenfranchised from any protection, but. Mm -hmm. This is these MP3s in part are just an effort to keep the beekeepers on the hamster wheel for a few more months or a few more years because they'll come to nothing and if they come to anything they will further worsen the protections that the beekeepers get but as you've said Graham the bees are are simply the smoke alarm here they're an indicator species and the, the environmental damages are far beyond the bees those 1 or 2 billion dollars in profits realized by the chemical industry are coming at a comparable expense to the environment perhaps even greater we are all losing billions well, well all i can say is that if you take a look at what they've done so far, pretty much every opportunity in which there's some sort of catastrophe, they've turned that into a profit. So it makes you wonder at this point, especially since, Tom, we've been talking about this for how many years, and nothing has really changed other than the fact that industry keeps getting away with whatever it is that they need to by the people in charge of regulating what they are allowed to do as an EPA, and bottom line is, it begs the question, how are they going to profit from a, a diminished number of beekeepers? What do they have in store? I, I think they have genetically modified crops in store. They're, they've, been, they've already produced an almond tree that does not require pollination by bees. It's genetically modified to be pollinated by the wind. Uh, the working, the main crops that they are interested in, the grains and the cereals, don't require mostly to be pollinated by bees. 
So that's where the big money is. You can't just eliminate a key element in nature. It just does not work time and time again. History has shown us that. So their desire to recreate things that have already been perfected in nature and profit from them and control them are never going to work. I think they'll work perfectly because they'll have genetically modified crops. And I think I've, I've read that they are trying to put a cockroach gene into a honeybee, and there's no reason why that shouldn't succeed. It will succeed. It'll succeed as far as their agenda, but what will that do to the other species that it impacts? Period. That's the big question. I think that many beekeepers fear that UC Davis and other, uh, you know, large university institutions working on GM crops are working very hard with Bayer to the production of a genetically modified bee, which will be resistant to all systemic pesticides. And you'll be then faced with a situation where they'll have carte blanche to use systemic pesticides everywhere in the world, but you will have to hire your bees annually from one of these pesticide companies who produces a pesticide-resistant bee. I think that's a distinct possibility. I think it is too, but the bottom line is, what will the impact be on other species? That is what remains oh, to be seen. Wildlife will be absolutely devastated. It's well, all I, don't, I don't think they care, because underlying this is a campaign for global control. And if you control the food system, if you control the food, you control the people. Yes, Henry Kissinger so nicely said that at one point, and it's been repeated numerous times. Bottom line, folks... We have to keep talking about these things. So on that note, Graham, thank you so much for joining us today. And Tom, once again, thank you for your help as well. Thank you, Thanks. June. For what thank you, you very much, June. Folks, if you have any questions for us, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Tune in next week as Tom and I continue the discussion. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon. <laughs> 